Welcome to the Veterans of Peace Radio Hour and Podcast on Radio Free Nashville, 107.1 and 103.7 and streaming live at RadioFreeNashville.org. Yeah, and you better start talking, Harvey, because I'm I'm <laughs> losing my mind. I'm just losing my mind over this, and I knew I would. Uh, yeah, that's me. And I was losing my mind as Harvey and I were reflecting on Independence Day and again asking the question independence for who independence for whom and you will hear more of me going off the rails and harvey trying to drive me back on to sanity but first my name is jim wolkamuth and i am here with fellow vietnam veteran harvey bennett we're members of veterans for peace veterans for peace is an international organization of military veterans and allies the collective efforts are to build a culture of peace humanity equality justice just go to veteransforpeace.org this radio show and podcast is on stations across the country thanks to the pacifica radio network we're also on soundcloud anchor podcast spotify and your phone podcast app. Just search Veterans for Peace. The Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Radio Free Nashville is supported in part by you, the listener, because it is you that keeps Radio Free Nashville going. And as a result, this radio show is picked up by the Pacifica Radio Network. So we are heard across the country. So if you think this is important, just go to RadioFreeNashville.org and click on the donate button and keep Harvey and I on the air in every time zone in the continental U.S. Oh, and if you support Veterans for Peace, go to our site at veteransforpeace.org and do the same. So while the mainstream media, YouTube, Twitter, and other platforms are censoring voices of activism, dissent, we will continue to share those voices who stand up against the establishment, who stand up against the military, industrial, congressional, media, corporate complex, who stand up for us, the global us. Well, this is our show following July 4th. Or Independence Day. And in, as in the past, we have to ask ourselves, independence from whom? So even though we are past Independence Day, we thought we would just discuss independence for whomever. And I wanted to start with a clip from my church where a group of people on mission just went to Pine Ridge. Really? Yeah, they just went to Pine Ridge and they came back. I managed to record it. Okay. Is I will not mention her name, but here she goes. We visited the site of the massacre of Wounded Knee. And so I'm going to start with a quote from the Oglala Lakota holy man Black Elk as he recalled the event. I can see that something else died there in the bloody mud and was buried in the blizzard. A people's dream died there. It was a beautiful dream. So most nights we were there, we heard from some of the elders and the wise people about their beautiful culture. It's amazing, based on virtues, love, the earth. Um, we have so much we can learn from them. So the population of Pine Ridge Reservation is about 19,000 people. It's surrounded by the Badlands. Some people there call it a prisoner of war camp. Number 344. I had never thought of it that way. But if you consider what they don't have, how they have to live in this place without much, it is like a prisoner of war camp. There's no industry 
technology or commercial infrastructure, no banks, motels, discount stores, movie theaters. The one small grocery store covers everybody in that population, and it's expensive. Pine Ridge is about an hour from Rapid City. Uh, it takes gas, it takes a car to get there. So they're pretty closed in on the reservation. There's no infrastructure for road maintenance, garbage pickup, and the nearest dump is in Rapid City. So no money, no car. What do you do? They just do this. Well, there are no jobs. 90% are unemployed. Why don't they just start a business? Well, what do you have to do to start a business? You have to have money, right? Startup money. How do you get a startup loan? You have to have collateral, land. They don't own the land, so they can't use it as collateral. One third of the homes have no electricity. One third of the homes have no water. They must carry contaminated water from rivers. There's no water given to them for gardens or agriculture. In fact, the Supreme Court just shot down one of the reservations, pleas for water for that very purpose. There's an average about 12 to 17 people living in each home. Now, there are some wood homes, wood structures, but a lot of trailers. When you think about that many people in a trailer with no water, no electricity, it's crazy. Um, so we built a lot of uh, bunk beds for people in those trailers. And many of the trailers are leftover FEMA trailers from Hurricane Katrina. They weren't built for the harsh winters, the high temperatures in the summer. Last year, they had triple digit summer weather and 40 degree below zero wind chill in the winter with straight line winds that took out windows. People were stuck in three feet of snow and they died in their homes. Maybe you're lucky to have water come into your house. I had never really thought about this, but there's no sewage to take it out. So where's all that go? Aha, hence, we were uh, in the shop doing some sanding. And I had remembered that the list of donations they gave us, they were asking for toilet seats, round toilet seats. And I thought, oh, okay, we're gonna be going and replacing toilet seats. When I was in the shop, I walked by one of the uh, outhouses that we were to build. Guess what's in that outhouse? A round hole for a round toilet seat. These people weren't replacing their toilets. They were getting an outhouse. Why don't they just move? Their families have been there for generations, their culture. There's no money to do that. And discrimination in Rapid City against Native Americans is intense. So no experience with the outside world, no job experience. There's their POW camp 344. Chief Red Cloud of the Oglala Lakota said, they made us many promises, but they kept only one. 
They promised to take our land. And they did. That was a, a <laughs> lady from the congregation of my church who gave this presentation as after her and a group of others from Unity of Nashville went to Pine Ridge to help <laughs> out. And they all got an opportunity to speak. But this one was particularly powerful. And with that, all I have to say, Harvey, is independence for whom? Well, you know, I was interested in saying <clears throat> the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and one of the sections of it refers to the savages unleashed against them. The native savages, mm -hmm. savage natives. So, you know, they weren't trying to get independence for them. No. They lived in this country, too. Yeah, that's right. But today, as we celebrate or as we reflect on the celebration of July 4th, it's clearly not a day for them. So what happened at your church? Uh, and this was a special mass because we had the bishop there uh, because of... Uh, was the feast of Saint Thomas, the, who was the patron saint of this parish. He uh, at one point said, "What is coming up on Tuesday? Can people tell me what that is?" And and people just said, "The Fourth of July." And he said, "Yeah, well, I mean, what about the Fourth of July?" <laughs> and nobody said anything. He just said, "Independence Day, correct? The Declaration of Independence." This bishop is from Haiti. So, you know how Haitian independence was treated. <clears throat> By the whole world. Right. <laughs> because all we had was a bunch of slaves in an uprising that threw out the French. And they've been paying for it ever since. That's right. He didn't dwell on that. He just said, the Declaration of Independence talks about inalienable rights life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Independence does not give you that. You know, it does talk about governments formed to preserve these rights. But he said, more than independence, what is needed for a society is interdependence. And I thought, good point. Yeah. It made me think of Martin Luther King, how he always talked about that, how, how we were so entwined. We can never do anything without being connected to each other. As much as a certain segment of the population would just, <laughs> hate, just hate that. Right. So, well, there you go. I mean, that's, that's awesome that both our churches were recognizing that there's something else other than hot dogs and fireworks. <laughs> um, there's more to a meaning to that. And so what we'd like to do is just ask the question, independence for whom, or independence for who, depending on where mm -hmm. we're talking about gram grammatically. But one of the things I'd just like to throw out first before we really get into some of the nitty gritty is I've read that we're close to extraditing Julian Assange. Now, he's not even an American citizen, but we want to put him in front of our courts because he shared information about Iraq. He shared the brutality of 
American forces in Iraq. He shared the truth. And if supposedly the truth will set us free. But <laughs> Harvey, you and I both know firsthand about the brutality of American forces, even if we did not see it directly. I mean, you participated in the launching of aircraft that conducted bombing runs 24-7, and I participated in the launching of attack helicopters and riverine boats in Vietnam causing destruction, murder, whatever we want to call it. So in this case, you know, the truth really isn't going to set anybody free because the truth just gets you extradited or imprisoned. And what did the people of Vietnam want? Independence. Yeah, they wanted independence. Independence from the French and then independence from us. Mm-hmm. And and they even asked permission. <laughs> and Truman wouldn't give it to them. But, you know, I was just thinking as I read that article about Assange, Daniel Hale's in jail. Chelsea Manning is out, but she served. Mm-hmm. Reality Winner is still in jail. John Curiaco is out, but he served. And then, of course, you got Edward Snowden, and mm-hmm. he's exiled. Right. He's exiled. Then political prisoners, Leonard Peltier, Mumia Abel-Jumal, and, you know, and we're just scratching the surface. There's still poor people that we're holding, taking away their independence in Guantanamo. And I was just thinking about independence, independence, seriously. And the the declaration talks about consent of the governed. When are we going to grant that? Well, let's take a look at the declaration. I just happen to have the declaration of independence (laughs) right here. And it starts off. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and we are going to assume and women are created equal and they are endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Liberty, independence, liberty, independence. Mm -hmm. And this last week and over the last year, our Supreme Court has gutted that. And so, and we're going to get into a little bit more specifics, but the declaration goes on to say that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their powers from the consent of the governed. Well, polling shows that the governed do not agree with what the Supreme Court has done over the last year. The people of the United States do not go along with the recent decisions that have been made by the Supreme Court. And not just the Supreme Court, many other things from the government, whether it's the federal government or the uh, governments in Florida or Tennessee or wherever that the governed is not being listened to by the people in charge. Then the declaration goes into a long list calling out the British for doing these bad things. For example, he has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till he has sent should be until the ascent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. Well, Roe v. Wade was precedent for 50 years. Affirmative action, almost as long. Mm -hmm. And then LGBT rights were ruled on by the Supreme Court just about 10 years ago. 
mm-hmm. and they have worked to undercut it just over the last year and especially over the last week. And then there's other examples where you can go through and this declaration from 1776 and say, yep, the the Supreme Court, the government, some of the state some of the state governments, they are acting like the British. And the last one they they listed, he has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount of payment of their salaries. So there it is that the Supreme Court (laughs) is listening to the far right, whatever white supremacist entities or donors or politicians. So that is the he. They're benefactors. That's right. When it says he has made judges, well, that is our white supremacist right wing and the Leonard Leos that are the tyrant. And so right there, that's in that's just portions of the Declaration of Independence, which are so-called celebrating on July 4th. So I wanted to break it down a little bit more with regard to what the uh, Supreme Court has done. And people know this. And so we don't have to go into a lot of detail. But a year ago, women lost their independence with regard to their bodies and reproductive freedoms. Women's independence to make decisions best for themselves was taken away by the Supreme Court. So there's a group that lost independence. Absolutely. Then last week, students lost their independence from crushing debt last week because they said the debt relief program was unconstitutional. And we can debate that Biden picked the wrong way to do it, but it doesn't matter. The Supreme Court did take take the independence of young people away by saying student debt relief was unconstitutional. So, Harvey, I got to ask you, where was the Supreme Court when it came to the residents of East Palestine? <laughs> right. <laughs> Why doesn't the Supreme Court weigh in and say it's up to the railroad to clean up the mess? It's up to the railroad to provide health care for those people forever. Where's the Supreme Court there? Well, that's a, the strange thing to me is that they agree to even hear these crazy things that they rule on. Because the whole thing of of the student debt uh, is... Uh, was just explained very clearly on uh, by you know Amy Goodman and Democracy Now. Uh, the uh, party that they relied on to show standing didn't even know they were being included. <laughs> and there was exactly. no basis to their arguments. You know, so we we've, we've talked about student debt. We know that it's unfair. You know what happened to the railroads. What happened to that Silicon Valley bank? I mean, they got bailed out. Why can't these kids get bailed out who are actually the future, who are actually the ones that are going to make the country what it could be? But now they're saddled with debt, and we've already seen that. They can't participate in the economy. No. So, well, the other thing 
and the Supreme Court did two other things. Which one do you want to go with first? The affirmative action or the um, the the uh, gay rights? Let's do affirmative action because that's overturning long precedent for one yeah. thing. I got a quick clip from Amy on Democracy Now!, this is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We begin with the court's landmark ruling Thursday that gutted affirmative action when it ruled Harvard and the University of North Carolina's programs considering race and college admissions are unconstitutional. The 6-3 to three decision overturns long-standing precedent. The court stopped short of barring legacy admissions and will allow military academies to continue using affirmative action. Writing for the majority, Chief Justice John Roberts assailed race-conscious admissions as elusive, imponderable, and opaque, ruling they violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, the first black woman appointed to the court, wrote in her dissent, the decision, quote, is truly a tragedy for us all. She added, with let them eat cake obliviousness, today the majority pulls the ripcord and announces colorblindness for all by legal fiat. Meanwhile, Justice Clarence Thomas, who's now the longest-serving justice on the conservative majority court and is African-American, sided with the majority and read his concurrence from the bench, saying, quote, "...even in the segregated South where I grew up, individuals were not the sum of their skin. While I am painfully aware of the social and economic ravages which have befallen my race and all who suffer discrimination, I hold out enduring hope that this country will live up to its principles so clearly enunciated in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution." Constitution of the United States, that all men are created equal, are equal citizens, and must be treated equally before the law. I'm going to stop it there because that I reluctantly had to edit out the phrase that I used to describe Mr. Thomas, not because of any respect for him or his opinion or his motives or whatever, but due to the respect I have for the listening audience and the Federal Communications Commission. Let's continue. I can't <laughs> believe that he would say that when um, when he's basically gutting something that, that helped equality, that forced a level of equality or equal opportunity because this country has not been able to deal with that. And he benefited from it. And so... It's one of those things where I, when I first heard that, when I first heard the discussion, I just turned to my wife and I said, affirmative action is very important, but it's still just a, a bone that was tossed towards people of color. And by that, what I mean is just compare it to en enslavement for hundreds of years. Then when enslavement is over, then a reconstruction period which was cut short before it had a chance to take hold thanks to a political deal then you had lynchings and actually lynchings were supported by the laws in the south you had jim crow laws after world war ii you had redlining and then they had 
then people had to fight so hard for voting rights, school desegregation, school segregation. And you can see I'm just nuts, you know, the separate but equal. And so then along comes affirmative action, which does a good thing. But in relation to all the things that people of color have gone through in this country for centuries and now to gut that, I I was just so animated that I said, okay, tell you what, tell you what, get rid of affirmative action, but how to, let's talk about reparations. Let's do reparations. Let's take reparations really seriously because you just got it affirmative action. And then I was, I was glad to hear that California has actually done something with regard to that. They are actually having a, had a panel, had a study that related to uh, providing reparations for the African-American community. And so I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, but I was just so angry that they killed affirmative action and not just because they killed it, but the way they did it, because they said that you could still use it for the military academies. Mm -hmm. You, you, You could use it for the military academies. And I couldn't find the quote, but apparently... Justice Roberts said, having a Chief Justice Roberts said, having a diverse military officer corps, officer corps, officer corps it is good for the military. Well, what the hell about society, you moron? <laughs> I mean, they are as clear in their racism as our Tennessee state legislature throwing off the Justins from from just speaking their minds about gun control. I mean, and you better start talking, Harvey, because I'm I'm losing my mind. I'm just losing my mind over this, and I knew I would. Well, you know, and now they're talking about, you know, people of color or still have the, you know, the opportunity to, uh, in their applications, describe how they've overcome some discrimination or other uh unfairness and and what what qualities they have that allowed them to do that that will in turn enrich the university and society well to me that's upside down i mean <laughs> yeah what are the people responsible for these systems going to do just to, to, to stop forcing people to live like that oh exactly <laughs> And that that ruling and the words that came out of it from the majority, I, I just thought, wow, these guys really are are stupid. And you know, they, it was interesting. I read that uh, you, Cal Berkeley and University of Michigan Ann Arbor both lost affirmative action cases and had to stop their programs. Yeah, and uh, it's been a number of years since then. And neither of them, neither of them have had any success. Uh, they've all, you know, had precipitous declines mm-hmm. in student diversity, no matter how hard they tried and without affirmative action. I think M- Michigan now, the undergraduate admission class is 3% black. And in uh, <clears throat> Berkeley, it was about the same. And, you know, it had been 
in range 10 to 15% or something. So you just can't do it. No. And, and And they actually spent money trying to do that. You know, a lot of efforts. mm -hmm. And when, with a way to do it. When, when Thomas, when I hate to call him justice, maybe I'll call him uncle, (laughs) uncle Thomas. When he says that about the constitution, about equal equality, and he hopes the country can live up to it. Well, the country over 200, uh, 200 years has not proven that it can live up to it yet. So what has had to happen is somebody's had to say, can't not live up to it on its own, but somebody's had to give a, make a law, make a ruling that say, okay, we can't do this on our own. So we're going to make the law that says you have to do it. I mean, that happened with the Voting Rights Act. That happened with the Civil Rights Act. Um, that happened with affirmative action. You, you know, you couldn't get it done. So we're going to make you do it. Because it's people- the same thing with Brown v. Board. Exactly. But, but it's over time, it's been essentially uh, undercut. Totally, you can't even say that schools are integrated at this point. No. So, so once again, I got to go back to the question, independence for whom? I mean, it, the, these, these students that are missing out on the opportunity to attend college because they grew up in, an air, in a depleted area in a poor neighborhood with poor resources and poor schools and they couldn't get the education, well, now they don't get the chance. They don't get the independence that could come, the financial independence that could come with a good education. Well, and it's even more uh, extreme because of the pandemic, all the lost academic experience or, you know, the loss of learning. It was clearly shown that people of color and people of, Lower income had less access to these online resources, and and they fared, you know, much more poorly. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can't afford to get the internet into your home, then your students who couldn't go to school during the pandemic, yeah. sorry, out of luck. Yeah, and and I didn't see a big a major governmental program or, oh, for Christ's sake, the private sector program trying to make make this available to kids. So, I mean, so there it is. Independence for whom? So the next, the LGBT community. And we got, we'll go back to Amy because she seems to be covering this better, of course, than other folks and this is again from democracy now this is democracy now democracynow.org the war and peace report i'm amy goodman today the supreme court issues two more decisions including one brought by a colorado wedding website designer who wants to be allowed to refuse service to same-sex couples 
Lori Smith filed a lawsuit with help from the right-wing Alliance Defending Freedom as part of the group's ongoing attacks on the rights of LGBTQIA people. Smith said a Colorado law that bars businesses from refusing to sell a product to gay couples is a violation of her right to free speech as someone who opposes same-sex marriage. But new reporting shows Smith never once made a wedding website, and a key document in the case may be fake. For more, we're joined by Melissa Gira Grant, staff writer at The New Republic. Her new piece is headlined, The Mysterious Case of the Fake Gay Marriage Website, The Real Straight Man and the Supreme Court. Okay, Melissa, lay it out for us. Tell us what you discovered about the case the Supreme Court is ruling on today. story, just to start there. Um, so in 2016, this website designer named Lori Smith, whose business is called 303 Creative, she believed that a Colorado anti-discrimination ordinance that protects people from discrimination, among other things, um, from discrimination based on sexual orientation, she believed that that precluded her from entering into the wedding website business. Now, she has never created a wedding website for anybody, and including a same-sex couple. So in the course of making this argument, she claimed you know, two things. One, that this law meant that she couldn't post an announcement on her website saying that she wouldn't make these websites for any couple that wasn't in a biblical marriage that she approved of. And additionally, in a later filing in that original case in 2016, she claimed that an actual same-sex couple sought to have her build a website for them. That an inquiry, it doesn't seem that it was a legitimate inquiry, but it remained in the case. It came up in the district court ruling that ruled against her. It came up in their appeal. It's even been included in filings to the Supreme Court and was referenced by her attorneys, Alliance Defending Freedom, who are a Christian nationalist law project. They said, hey, she's had an actual inquiry. So this is a case that you know has some relevance. But before this inquiry became um, a subject of debate, it hadn't really been reported out until um, I was able to reach the person who allegedly made the inquiry. Um, they and were I want to point out, this is well. unbelievable. It's like seven years later, right, Melissa? I mean, yeah. this case was brought in 2016. <laughs> You're a general reporter, and you just decide to look at the documents of this case the Supreme Court is now weighing. Yeah, I, I am, I'm just sort of like shrugging and shifting in my seat because like, yes, I've covered the Supreme Court. I've covered cases that I spent months of my life on. This is one that, you know, came up in the course of reporting on anti-LGBTQ issues, which is mostly what I do. And, you know, I just saw this phone number in a filing and I thought, well, let's call this guy. Right. Let, let's see if this is a, a real inquiry. And, you know, again, like Wait, you call the guy who supposedly, <laughs> according to the documents, is the guy who asked her to make a website for his gay wedding. So but there was a name, yeah. there was a phone number and address and you call the man in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, well, he's not in Colorado. I learned that right away. Um, you know, is, it is his real, a real person's name. It is a real person's phone number. It is a real person's email address. It is a real person's website. But when I called that real person, and it wasn't hard to reach him, he was happy to talk to me. He's a very reasonable, nice guy who had no idea that his information was in this case, and he had never heard about it from another reporter. No one had ever called him to check this inquiry out, which would suggest also that the attorneys in this case did not reach out to him to verify this. It suggests that, you know, 
once it made it to the Supreme Court, it was just sort of established as assumed fact that there was a genuine inquiry here. Um, and again, just to underline, like, this is not the sole piece of evidence they're bringing the case on, but the case itself was Wait. already about fake, like, a maybe someday a gay couple would ask her to make a website for them. But let's be clear just, on this man. Yeah. Uh, he is married to a woman, has a child, and had no plans yeah. to have a gay marriage, and never, he said, uh, submitted any request to this woman who doesn't make marriage websites to make him a marriage web, a gay no. marriage website? Not at all. And, you, you know, can't I look into his background, up. it seems credible. I've been talking with him on and off since the, the first phone call I made to him on Tuesday. Um, you know, he... He's appalled by this. You know, he is progressive. He supports abortion rights. He was horrified to hear that the group that was bringing this was one of the groups that helped undo Roe versus Wade. Um, he doesn't want any part of the spotlight. And he had no idea that he had been pulled into this case, that somebody posing as him, in truth, pulled him into this case. And is there any evidence that the Supreme Court has found what you did on Tuesday? I have no idea. Honestly, you know, um, I have to give some credit to Justice Sotomayor, who in oral argument got into the nitty gritty of, well, hold on, hold on. Like, what websites are you forbidden from making? Like, let's look into your actual brief. And it was through that question that I found this inquiry in the brief. The inquiry didn't come up in oral argument. It wasn't a subject of back and forth in the filings ahead of oral argument. So, you know, I don't know that this inquiry would have ever been decisive in what the Supreme Court decides. But for me, it's just it's so indicative of all of the questions and concerns people have had about this court so, and the legitimacy of this court. And so tell us what this group, the Alliance Defending Freedom or ADF, is that brought this case that's now being weighed by the Supreme Court. So ADF started in the 1990s. Um, they are really invested in this project that we would now call Christian nationalism. They believe that Christians have a right to decide the way that this country and its laws function. They are, you know, fundamentally opposed to the separation of church and state. And so a lot of their cases kind of came from that place. Um, they've been very successful in getting cases before the Supreme Court. People may have uh, heard of the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, which is kind of similar to this one. Um, but at least in that case, there was an actual gay wedding and there was an actual gay wedding cake that was at issue. Like here, there is no wedding. There is no website. Um, it, it's troubling that a group that's pushing this agenda, uh, attacking queer and trans people, you know, they're behind the anti-trans laws that we've seen pop up by the dozens across the country over the last few years. If they, all they have to bring is, you know, fantasies of things that gay people someday may do, what does that say um, about their project? And what does it say about the court that they're willing to entertain something that's based on something so flimsy? And fascinatingly, lower courts rejected it. Melissa Gira Grant, I want to thank you for being with us, staff writer at The New Republic. We'll link to your piece, The Mysterious Case of the Fake Gay Marriage Website, The Real Straight Man and the Supreme Court. And when that was aired, they hadn't, uh, <clears throat> they didn't know at the time that the court was going to rule in the, that woman's favor. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's so many things right there that just make my head explode like why did it take this lady why did it take her to just you know, call the guy yeah <laughs> is nobody working for the supreme court none mm -hmm. of the staff people gonna call the guy 
and say, wait a second, your name is on here. Shouldn't you be in the courtroom someplace? <laughs> I mean, uh, the, I the, don't know the process for how they decide to hear a case. I, it, I mean, there are all these cases that don't, you know, they refuse to hear. Yeah. Some of them but, are probably valid and should be heard. And instead, this piece of junk gets heard. And now why is that? <laughs> right. Because the, the Supreme Court has an agenda. And so here we go. The right wing like to talk about a slippery slope, but the slippery slope is here that, well, if you're going to do this because you don't you don't support gay marriage, even though even though there was never request, the guy never did it. But say you don't support gay marriage. Now you have the right to say we're not going to set up a website or we're not going to make you a cake or we're not going to let you in the door or, you mm -hmm. know, whatever, whatever, whatever. And so how how far away is that from from saying, mm -hmm. OK, no trans people coming in, no black people coming in, no Hispanic people coming in, no Muslims coming in? I mean, how you know, I'm almost of two minds on this, because, you know, if I made wedding cakes and I was asked to make one with swastikas and SS logos and death to Jews across the top of it. Am I required to do that because it's open to the public? Well, that's a good point. And, yeah. you know, and people can say, screw you, I'll find, you know, somebody who's not a bigot. And I will certainly let everyone know that you are. <laughs> so none of that's my right. I mean, that's where business. the customer comes in. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, that's where the customer and hopefully... You know, people will take a look at this lady's website and say, well, she designs websites for any any number of things. And hopefully she just loses business because she's made a name for herself. But I would guess that the ACLU would support the people that requested that you make a cake with swastikas on it. Mm -hmm. I, I suspect, you know, and it's one of those things. So... Uh, I mean, it's it's a difficult issue, but still the fact it that's a difficult issue. But what really, really, really troubles me is the Supreme Court really didn't do their homework on mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. Once again, they showed their agenda, just like with affirmative action. They showed their agenda. Well, I think they're hearing from some of their generous so-called friends who have is who have issues before the court. Yeah. In favor of those things you think <laughs> mm -hmm. that, that, that's been on democracy now I too mean, i mean one reasonable explanation for for an otherwise yeah uh <laughs> crazy well, <laughs> well i don't know specifically but i know that alito was called out on democracy now yeah for sure for, for having ruled on a case with regard to an oil and gas company who had just leased property from Alito's wife. Right. And, and so, she was going to make money off the... Yeah, the, so she was going to make money off of that. So and Earlier than that, he also ruled against the you know, wetlands for someone who had a clear interest in that. There it is. So, you know, once again, the Declaration of Independence 
tries to assure life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And the Supreme Court has just damaged the life and the liberty and the pursuit of happiness of gay Americans just by that ruling. And indebted students. And indebted students. And And women. Yes, right. So, independence for whom? We've talked about the Supreme Court, but you know, when you look back, when you just look at the, the, the nature of what is going on, I found an article by Bill Astori, and it was talking about the war on terror. And he was his basic premise, and I was reading it, and I thought, oh, let me mention this, the war on terror. And he says, we really need to make sure that we bring it internally, domestically. And then he goes on to say this, because we're talking about protesters now. Are Americans truly welcome to protest whenever they choose? We'd like to think so, especially as July 4th approaches. America, land of the free. But who wants to be detained and thrown in jail for domestic terrorism? Anyone in America hankering to be labeled a terrorist by the state, whether on the right or the left of the political spectrum, even if the charge is eventually dismissed, remember those innocent days of the 60s when for some the the police, they were called pigs and the protesters were called bums. Richard Nixon's word for the students killed at Kent State were bums. Now, those protesters could have been charged with domestic terrorism, just like they're calling people protesting Cop City. Right. Yeah. So even as various heavily armed enforcers of the law would likely be celebrated, consider all of those Blue Lives Matter flags. So remember... When defund the police was briefly a thing by which people meant less funding for militarized pol- police forces and more mental health services and like, President Biden and the Democrats realized any serious effort to restrain police would leave them open to charges of being soft on crime. So Biden and the party simply declared, fund the police. Republicans concur, of course, even as they still accuse Biden and the Democrats being soft on crime. And there you have it. Fund the police at all levels, local, state, and federal, and grant them the kind of powers given to the America's warriors in the global war on terror. Set them loose on the American America's domestic terrorists. After all, the global war on terror went so well in Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Yemen, and elsewhere. Surely it will go equally well in the homeland, right? And if you don't know, Bill's story is often tongue in cheek. (laughs) And he says, in this writing, I came across a superb article by Patricia McCormick at the Washington Post. Marianne Becchio, the girl in the Kent State photo. And everybody's seen this. Well, maybe uh, hopefully everybody's seen it, but it's the girl Mm -hmm. kneeling down to the boy Miller who was killed. She was just 14 when the above photo was taken. She paid a high price. As the article recounts, letters to her family accused her of being a drug addict, a tramp, a communist. Then the governor of Florida suggested she was a professional agitator, therefore responsible for students' deaths 
a Gallup poll then cited by McCormick said that 58% of Americans blame the students at Kent State and only 11% blame the National Guard. Professional agitator sounds much like today's domestic terrorist. And let's reflect on those 58% of Americans who are believed that the Kent State were respond Kent State students were responsible for their own deaths. How dare they block the free flight of made in the USA bullets with their bodies? And so that was Bill Astori. And I thought, you know, there's there's a linkage to the police and the increased militarization of the police and the reduction of rights, especially for people of color, especially for marginalized communities. The one neighborhood in Nashville where Jacques Clemens was killed, and I forget the name of the neighborhood, but they were saying, I I heard people from the community saying they felt like they were being occupied. Mm -hmm. And so once again, independence for whom, Harvey? We just got the tip of the iceberg. Each of us knows somebody personally whose rights, whose independence, whose life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness has either been eliminated or or is in jeopardy. Every one of us. We're married to women. Well, we have daughters. And the Supreme Court has reduced their independence, their liberty. You've got your grandsons. Mm -hmm. And Elijah, pursuit of happiness, life, liberty. Well... What happens if he gets stopped along the way? I have grandkids who, because Tennessee legislature is captured by the gun lobby as much or more than any other state in the country, that they cannot be assured of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness at school or in the park, or if they go to a shopping center, a mall. With that, we all know somebody. Independence for whom? You want to hear what Frederick Douglass had to say about Independence Day? Oh, that's that'd be perfect at this point, because we know that, that there's a historical thing about this. So, yeah, please. And this was 1852. He was asked to give a speech on July 4th. Pretty long, but I'll read some of the highlights. What to the American slave in 1852? Slavery was pretty much strong, time. you know. OK, the transatlantic slave trade was outlawed you know, 1805 or whenever finally stopped. But that didn't stop the domestic slave trade. No, that's uh, for sure. And uh, I'm in Charleston. That was a, a hub for the, both transatlantic and domestic slave trade. What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham, your boasted liberty, an unholy license, your national greatness, swelling vanity. Your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless, your denunciations of tyrants, brass-fronted impudence, your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery. Your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings, with all your religious parade and solemnity, are to him mere bombast, fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy. A thin veil to cover up crimes 
which would disgrace a nation of savages. There is not a nation on earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. Go where you may, search where you will, roam through all the monarchies and despotisms of the old world, travel through South America, search out every abuse. When you have found the last, lay your facts by the side of the everyday practices of this nation, and you will say with me that for revolting barbarity and shameless hypocrisy, America reigns without a rival. You know, so, and, <laughs> and here we are today. And this was 1852. 1852. It didn't stop until after the Civil War. Right. And, and I mean, it took a so, war to stop it. Exactly. And then you had the Black Codes, and then you had Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. And, and it just continues. Yeah. yeah, which, yeah, it's just. So it's Independence Day. It's Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness Day for white supremacy. Yeah. And that's where we're at. But, you know, we're getting close to the end here. And I want to go back to my church. And I don't have a recording of this. But I did capture what our pastor said. Oh, good. Yeah. And I, I got to paraphrase it. But she acknowledged from the pulpit that with July 4th we and Independence Day, we have so many problems and so many challenges. But we still have the words that we've quoted a number of times of the Declaration of Independence. Even though we're not following them, we still have those. And we still have the words of the Constitution. And as long as we have those words, we have the potential to live up to them. Even though the founders couldn't, and there's no doubt about it, and there's no debate, the founders wrote great words, even though they didn't live up to them. But we still have the potential. So she turned around and she says, I'm taking this serious. And she went back. And out of a bag, she got a red, white, and blue cowboy hat and a red, white, and blue scarf. Put the cowboy hat on and the, draped the, um, the scarf around her shoulders. And she called on us to embrace the potential. So she called on us to embrace the potential of those thoughts and words from the founders, even though they are still potential. But she wanted us to embrace that potential that we could be the nation that was dreamed of in 1776. And I thought of an example of where this is happening. Those young climate activists in Montana who have sued their state, arguing that its support of fossil fuels violates the state constitution. They are embracing the potential. And that's what my minister called on us to do. And then she introduced the closing song, which was a re wonderful rendition of America the Beautiful by one of the um, singers that, from the church. Didn't get a copy of that. I did think, you know what? We can embrace that potential. And so I found Ray Charles and him singing america the beautiful okay so do you want to you want to take a listen to that yeah 
that good it is good got to reflect on the potential well potential is uh is just got, a word <laughs> i know like, it's kind of like take, saying the pirates have the potential to win the World series <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's gonna take a lot of courage and perseverance yeah and it's gonna have to take some courage some perseverance from our elected officials and we got to elect the, the right officials and then they've got to have the courage and perseverance when they get to office to say, well, we've got a majority here, so let's expand the Supreme court, something like that. Yeah. We got to, 
you know, and it's too late for uh, incrementalism, folks. Right. <laughs> ain't gonna ha- ain't gonna happen that way. Well, anyway, there it is. There it is. Independence for whom? 